Good morning. I know you've been welcome to the service this morning, but it is again our pleasure to see you here with us to worship and praise our Lord. Um, this is the season of Lent, and so we thought we would start off with something slightly different beside having a, a wonderful guest speaker. We're going to, uh, Justin and I, share a few readings from scriptures and short reflections. Um, it's kind of interesting that we end up with some chairs to sit on up here. Uh, I know that's uncommon for us when we're preaching, but that's exactly the way it worked in the synagogue when Jesus was teaching. They were reading from the scroll, everybody was standing, and then Jesus sat down to teach. It's a very fascinating reality. I, I thought we might make you all stand through this message, but uh, it's, uh, it's probably better we, we do it this way. So. I have an opening prayer for us. It's, it's a, an offering from a gentleman named Howard Thurman. Anyone here know Howard Thurman? Good for you, sir. He's a fantastic, he was a fantastic black preacher in the States and has been uh, renowned for the quality of his messages and the strength of his faith. And uh, Life magazine put him on the cover once, long ago. We don't even have that magazine anymore. But uh, that was quite an accomplishment and recognition for this wonderful evangelist. So let me share his prayer with you. Let us pray. The concern which I lay bare before God today is this. My concern for the life of the world in these troubled times I confess my own inner confusion as I look out upon the world. There is food for all. Many are hungry. There are clothes enough for all. Many are in rags. There is room enough for all. Many are crowded. There are not who want war. Preparations for conflict abound. I confess my own share in the ills of the times. I have shirked my own responsibilities as a citizen. I have not been wise in casting my ballot. I have left to others a real interest in making a public opinion worthy of democracy. I have been concerned about my own little job, my own little security, my own shelter, my own bread. I have not really cared about jobs for others, security for others, shelter for others, bread for others. I have not worked for peace. I want peace, but I have voted and worked for war. I have silenced my own voice that it may not be heard on the side of any cause, however right. If it meant running risks or damaging my own little reputation. Let thy light burn in me that I may from this moment on take effective steps with my own powers to live up to the light and courageously to pay for the kind of world I so deeply desire. In Jesus' name, amen. So the opening scripture for us in celebrating Lent together is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. A familiar passage, I'm sure, to many. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. 
The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This uh, scene that we have painted for us in words has become the subject of many great artists' renditions. This poetic promise of peace is meant to inspire us to seek the deep meaning of creation, recreation, and our hope for an existence without the violence, suffering, and death we experience presently. The text opens pairing natural enemies from the animal world, wolf and lamb, leopard and kid, calf and lion. The mystery proclaimed here is that God's peace can transcend even the instinctive practices of animals. When I dream about Noah's Ark, one of my favorite Bible stories, these reflections come to mind. Only God could have allowed such diversity to exist in the cramped space of an ark without absolute chaos. The next image, which is developed right through to the conclusion of our verses, is that of a little child, a child who will lead. The image of the child leader is particularly powerful when paired with the declaration that a nursing child and a weaned child will not be harmed by one of our most feared adversaries, the snake or the viper. The conclusion to our brief reading is astounding in its scope and completeness. There will be no harm done, the prophet proclaims. Why would we ask, why we would ask with such a bold statement made? Isaiah answers us in the challenge that is laid bare before every believer. The full knowledge of the Lord will prevent such catastrophes. The full knowledge of the Lord is the objective of us who sojourn together in Lent. Can we accept the reality that until we arrive at the full knowledge of the Lord, there will be no peace? Isaiah, filled with the Holy Spirit, has issued a portrait of life, life that could be. The problem remains, are we willing, are we willing to listen to the word of God and change accordingly. Thanks, Howard. Our second reading will be from the prophet Zechariah. Um, not a commonly read book, but it's a, this is an amazing passage. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to see, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, I, I always feel a little bit of tension when we read some of these messianic passages. On one hand, there are some passages that Jesus very obviously fulfilled. 
He was the one for whom the prophets foretold, as uh, the two disciples say um, regarding him in John chapter 1. And then there are others that I'm like, oh, is, is that really about Jesus or is that something about, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those tensions that I have theologically. It's kind of in the same way that we talk about, you know, current events at times, right? There are current events and we try to look in, in Revelation and find, oh, oh, that's what they're talking about. You know, this is this, this tension that I have when we talk about prophecy and things like that. It's, it's complicated. It's tricky. But Zechariah chapter 9 is very clearly a messianic text. But it goes a little deeper than that. It's this fascinating little tale of two kings. So in King, in First Kings, the book of Kings, First Kings chapter one, you have this little game of thrones happening where two of King David's sons are laying claim to the throne, Adonijah and then Solomon, who would become king. So you have this conflict breaking out where Adonijah, he's ready to rule by force. He's ready to take over. He's ready to, by, you know, by, by means of violence, rule Israel and Jerusalem and Judah and Judah. Whereas Solomon was David's chosen one. And eventually, Solomon was anointed as king. And he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, Zechariah was written centuries, sorry, centuries after that passage in 1 Kings. So at this point, that concept of a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey has become a bit of a theme for God's people. It's become a symbol of hope for a people that in, in, in Zechariah's time were in exile. And then in the time of Jesus, this passage would have been widely known among the Jewish community. So when Jesus does the same thing, which we will read about in about a month's time, it's sort of this subversive way of laying claim to, to a throne, even under a Roman rule. And yet, even this messianic prophecy has a scope that we can't fully comprehend. Similar to Howard's passage, you know, it talks about this, this like radical peace. Weapons of war are destroyed. Peace abounds across the nations. It seems too good to be true more than ever these days, yeah? So I want to leave this passage with just a couple kind of questions, things for us to consider. What does the Messiah, what does the Messiah bringing peace to the nations, what does that actually mean today? What does that actually look like? Does it mean just like peace in our souls, you know, like just this, this good feeling that we have? Does it mean peace is in no war, no conflict? Because man, that, that certainly does not seem, neither of those seem like our reality all the time. And so there's this tension of, as we've often talked about, the already of Jesus has come, but not yet in its fullness. And so these, this is often the theme in the Messianic text. And so uh, I just want us to consider some of those things as we are in this Lenten season. And I'll pass it back over to Howard. Thank you, Justin. Our next reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Now we leap forward centuries, and we have uh, Paul writing about his, his testimony to Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, 
things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood on the cross. I'll start off uh, quoting to you from a a wonderful commentator, uh, D.E. Garland. This section divides into two parts, each with its own theme. Christ is mediator of creation, victor over the powers, and Lord over all of God's created order. That's the first, verses 15 to 17. And Christ is also Lord over God's new order, the church, where one finds reconciliation, verses 18 to 20. So this text is so beautiful, and it is arranged with such poetic power in its imagery that some scholars have claimed that Paul borrowed the words from an ancient Christian hymn. Of course, this is mere speculation. We could never prove it right or wrong. But it does give us a clue to how important these few verses are in our understanding of who it is that we are following during this Lenten season. The message of the text is given to us in two parallel strophes, mimicking the well-known Hebrew practice of communicating using statements that reveal the truth and then a following statement that reveals even a fuller truth. Here, we return to the foundational narrative of creation, with Paul uh, proclaiming that Jesus was there. He was the active agent of the Trinity, present in creation. And so the two strophes draw a parallel between the creation of all things and the creation of new things. Together they affirm that the creator of all things in heaven and earth is the one that the Colossians know as their redeemer. When we acknowledge that the redemption of creation begins with the cross, we find that our place, our purpose, is indelibly linked to Jesus, who is the full manifestation of God to us. It then grants us the same steely determination to set our faces toward Jerusalem, anticipating that whatever lies ahead, God is with us and God is for us. Our final passage will be from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I often uh, use this passage in wedding ceremonies. I really enjoy doing weddings. And in fact, there's a couple couples here who I believe I use this as, <laughs> see one of them waving. Um, now, to be fair, I've been married almost 15 years and I don't remember what was shared in the wedding sermon on my wedding day. But maybe, maybe Rachel and Billy do, I don't know. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a blur that wedding day. Anyway, I just find this passage to be the perfect just summation, this perfect picture of sacrificial love. And we all know that love, any kind of love, relationships, love of God, love of others, whether it's a, a friendship or a marriage, it requires you to give up something. It requires sacrifice. And Jesus' life and death embody this, quite literally. Even though Jesus had great power, he did not abuse it for his own game. Even though he was God enfleshed, he did not, or see, he, he used it to serve and love us in both his life and his death. There's the most ancient and simple creed. It's three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He died for our sins and was raised to life to show his victory over death. Jesus is Lord. He is also Lord in the way that he lived and the way that he loved and the way that he served and sacrificed. There's something for us to consider this Lenten season, as we prepare, as we put our eyes toward Jerusalem, as we consider the, the movements of Christ toward the, the cross, toward the empty tomb, whether you've chosen to give up something, maybe you've given up something that you said, I'm going to give up sugar, I'm going to give up social media, whatever. And, and I'm not going to knock any of those things. We all have good reasons. There's all, there's all sorts of reasons why you might want to just choose to do that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But one practice you might consider in light of Jesus's life is sacrificial love and sacrificial service of others. How might I take my life and use it to serve the Lord in some tangible way? My family, my church, my, my community, my neighbors, those around the world who are in desperate need. There are no shortage of opportunities to live in a way that displays that sacrificial love. So I just want to leave you with, with one question, and then we're going to pray. So this Lent, as we consider the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in a more fulsome way, how can I instill a tangible practice of sacrificial love and service to someone around me who needs it or a group of people around me who need it? How can I do that? Let me pray for us. 
God, the needs around us are so great, and sometimes we can become paralyzed by too many options. So Lord, over the coming weeks leading up to Easter, would you lead us to the way that you would have us love and serve someone? Lead us in the way that you would have us bring peace to those around us. Lead us to communion with you in this season and communion with others. Help us to be pathways to your peace and your reconciliation. May we not simply live cloistered away, but as your ambassadors of love to those around us. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to sing a song that I think kind of sums up a lot of what we have been just reading about and discussing. We're going to sing the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. So I got to switch gears and give this mic over to Jim Kloss, who's going to be sharing with us in just a couple moments about some of the updates of what's going on in, in his world, in his sphere. And so after the song is over, that's coming up, and I'm going to... Come on up, Jim. Well, hello, everybody. What a delight to be here. Uh, it's just lovely to see you. If we could have the, put the slides up. I, I, it's just a, a wonderful chance just to come and say gracias for your, for your participation in, in this mission. I don't get many chances to take 10 minutes to talk about this. It's generally too nerdy. After one minute, people's eyes roll back and say, well, it sounds good, but I'm going to take a, a, a swing at the ball anyway here. Um, this is my 50th year in Christ. This is my year of Jubilee. You know, September 9th, 1973, I went into the Church of Our Lady, and I said, God, I want to know you. Would you show me how? And that evening, someone sat across from me in the South Residence in the dining hall and shared Christ with me. They had the courage to say something. And I talked to that person for four hours because I didn't know there were people like that on this earth. And I wanted to know. And this is the 50th year. And to be able to be here in the 50th year is a wonderful part of this celebration. So I want to say gracias. And thank you. You're part of these 50 years. Um, I want to talk about four things we do. Uh, If we could go to the next slide. Uh, And this is where the nerdiness comes in. This is a a dashboard of uh, 71 websites of uh, in the last month, um, we, in 100 languages, and we have 60 church partners that uh, get Google ad grants of $10,000 a month of free advertising, and we put it all together and, and see what happens. And there's, um, you'll see there's almost uh, 5 million ads, gospel and discipleship ads being shown with half a million responses. Uh, of, of clicks of some sort. Uh, this is a mammoth undertaking. I just have a little part of it. Um, and what we do is we use a su- a Canada Summer Student Grants from these churches 
to help get the labor force. So if we could get the next slide. We form a thing called the Summer Collective, and uh, we, uh, we give them jobs, and they're all working at home, and we just spend the summer uh, programming and translating. The neat thing is about half the people, this is their first job. And about half of them, uh, they have no connection with they've had no connection with Jesus before. They're doing translation work, and uh, we're, we're giving them a chance to, to, get a, to have a taste of what Jesus is like. Um, and I'm, I'm a coach on this, where I, I'm trying to get them... My, my goal is they could, ha- they could run their own consultancy, and what would be the type of things they'd need to get their business working. And, and then we invite a whole bunch of other people to participate with that. Uh, then the next slide shows specifically what uh, uh, we're doing in discipleship. That map on the left shows where our, our users are. A green is Spanish, yellow dots are English, and there's a little bit in French, and there's a little bit of prayer support. Um, and uh, it's just all over the place. One, one of the interesting things is there's more users in Saudi Arabia than half of Canada. And because and, we, we have all sorts of discipleship opportunities. And we're, our, our lives are not at risk by going somewhere and showing our face. And so the internet has a whole way of delivery that flies underneath the radar. And, and we get to offer resources. And we offer five, and this isn't a complete set of resources. It's, it's just some things that are helpful as they go along. Our, our standard two that I've been working the longest is point three and four, which are, are sort of an intro and advanced discipleship course, 40 days, two minutes or two or three minutes a day coming to your email. Um, and then there's a, a disciple-making course, um, that's uh, half an hour a week for six weeks. There's, but, but in the last couple of years, I've made this uh, 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 on the Jesus Road course of uh, 40 days in the Gospel of John, a couple of minutes a day. And then this past year, a storytelling course called The Five Stones. And it, it looks at uh, King David as a shepherd. And he had this curious passion of target practice. And I... Uh, uh, I'm really attracted to that because I love target practice. Horseshoes, anything that's aiming, trying to (laughs) hit something. Everyone thought it was pointless, except David. And then he showed up, and Goliath was challenging the nation, and no one wanted to fight him. And he said, I can do that. And he found five smooth stones and figured out how to, with his sling, how to just shoot that. And this course is based on... um, discovering our passions and sharing it. And, uh, and, and, and we feel by telling our stories to each other, that creates a basis on which then the gospel can be investigated. So it's a sort of a, an advance to the gospel. Then the last, uh, the second last slide here, if we could go to the next one. Uh, I have a number of mentoring groups, uh, mostly in Spanish, some in English, and we're trying to mentor mentors. And I feel very strongly about this. Do you know, this is a a, a statistic from the U.S., the average time between a seminary graduate leaves seminary, goes into the pastorate, and then quits, the average time now is five years. That means some of them are, half of them are quitting before that. Five years. 
we're going to run out of pastors. And uh, is, I don't know how different it is in Canada. You, I'll leave that for your, uh, for your thinking. But I'm trying to figure out how to get young laborers, whether they're pastors or laborers, together. And we do three things. We give them a voice. So we talk about what's happening. We give them a choice. What is it they want to learn? And we give them a challenge. We try to figure out with each other how we can encourage each other to go along. Uh, and so I'm, I'm working a lot on that and, and really quite enjoying it. The last thing I'd like to say on the last slide is how you can help. And one of the things is I'd like to just invite you to take a risk and try to encourage someone else in their journey. It, does someone need to know who Jesus is? You could sign both of you up and get a little daily email on it and then discuss it from the Gospel of John. Or does someone want to deepen in their walk with God and start, start a discipleship journey with them? Uh, these aren't complicated things. Uh, but it's rare. I would say it's probably less than one in ten Christians ever consciously try to disciple another. And, and the tools are there. And if you'd like coaching in it, I'm here. I'm happy to help any way I can. Um, learn to mentor others. I think this is really key. And I'm on a journey with MentorLink, trying to figure out how to do that. Again, a lot of resources on that. If you'd be interested in talking about it, so would I. Um, please pray for our summer students and the summer collective. It's a mammoth under undertaking to keep this whole thing, that, that first part of the gospel on web thing working. And you know, you might want to consider becoming a sponsoring church. I don't know if you get summer student grants or not for the government. I don't know. Do you here? Uh, but if you ever wanted to get more, we could use more help. Um, please pray for the 3,000 active discipleship participants we have online. We're trying to figure out how to encourage them more. And I would really enjoy prayer for... Um, a trip to Argentina I'm taking at the begin, beginning of April, just seeing how to encourage the ministry down there. So that's some prayer requests. And then the last slide is, uh, these are our websites. If you'd like to look at it, mobile discipleship or discipulado.net, or give me an email. If you want a nerdy conversation, I'm available. Uh, <laughs> and any way I can encourage you, I'd like to. So let's carry that conversation on. And again, muchas gracias. Uh, it, it is very precious what Courtright does to help keep this thing running.